You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now and Always Right. Thanks for being with us seven minutes after 10 o'clock. On this Thursday, the 27th morning of the first month of the year of the year of our Lord, 2022. Good stuff from Peter Kirsten. I was great to have him on as just a caller. Good stuff from all of the other callers I've talked to this morning as well. A reminder, we are guest-free in the second half hour of this hour. So after we talk to our guest, Dr. Everett Piper, dial us back up at 216-901-0945, and we'll talk more about Joe Biden's pledge, legal or not, According to EEOC law, <laughs> and Peter said there may be, uh, it may not be enforceable when it comes to selecting somebody for the court, but um, legal or not, his pledge to choose only a uh, black woman to fill the vacancy created by the retirement of Stephen Breyer. So we'll talk more about that coming up. But right now, let's bring Dr. Piper back to our program. Dr. Everett Piper is a best-selling author. He is a columnist with the Washington Times. He is a past university president. Also hosts his own podcast radio program in his native Oklahoma called The Rebellion. So wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts, I highly recommend that one. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. I hope you're doing well, too. Absolutely. Uh, could not be better. I'm just having such a great time watching uh, watching Joe Biden stumble and fumble and bumble his way to another massive mistake by eliminating a whole bunch of very qualified candidates for a very important post, all on the basis of identity politics, which is what the left is uh, wrapped around right now. Uh, in fact, if you want to get a word in about that before we talk about the disrespectful Aaron Rodgers and his millennial generation of chronological snobs, what a great piece in the in the Washington Times. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on Biden's pledge to eliminate, uh, more than half of the population by saying no males allowed and eliminating another massive majority of the population by saying no whites allowed must be a black female on the court. <laughs> I don't know if I can say anything that you haven't already, or your guests haven't <laughs> pointed out. <laughs> obviously, obviously this is racist. Obviously it's, um, it's sexist. And obviously, it uh, ignores the fact that when you look in the mirror, you are not the person <laughs> that you are claiming should be running the place. In other words, you're a white man, but you don't want to step aside and give up your power for the sake of a black woman, do you? But but you'll wave that vir- you'll be a virtuous person. You will be a virtuous signaling person by declaring that somehow you've got this litmus standard that has nothing to do with skill, has nothing to do with ability, has nothing to do with intellect. For example, I hear that they're considering appointing Kamala Harris to the Supreme Court. That woman can't think her way out of a paper bag. I mean, she does not represent a high intellect, and we're going to put her at the highest court of the land? Oh, Lord help us. Anyway, I'm not saying anything that you haven't already said. No, well, I'm just glad to get an affirmation. Oftentimes, we are of like mind, but sometimes not on the same uh, plane. So I do want to get your thoughts on it, and I appreciate that. And I actually feel better about it when I hear you actually <laughs> agreeing with my thoughts. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers now. This man is an onion. 
Um, I never liked him, uh, meaning, of course, there's many layers here. I never liked him as a football player, uh, even though he's a great, great talent, of course, one of the best to ever throw a football. There's no question about that. Um, never liked him as a leader, never liked him as a teammate. He always seemed to be constantly grumpy and mad at his teammates or mad at his front office or mad at his coach. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, despite prodigious talent, he only won one Super Bowl and has failed in the playoffs many times. Um, I started to see another side of him in the last six months, however, or last maybe three or four months, when he was thinking for himself and did not, um, you know, acquiesce to the uh, the NFL uh, by by getting the profit jabs. Uh, he did not believe in it. He did not believe it was necessary, and he did not lie, despite being accused when he tested uh, or uh, when it, when it uh, became uh, uh, public that he was not profit jabbed. And he never said he was. He said he was immune. So he did not say he took the jab, but he has been attacked by the left for being a quote unquote anti vaxxer and suddenly. Very bravely, by the way, coming out, and suddenly I became a, became a fan of, of Aaron Rodgers for that. And now let's peel another layer back of this onion, and let's get to his beliefs in religion and in family. And that's what you wrote about here. I'm not going to try to paraphrase your story. I'll let you tell it. Well, as you know, you know all this other stuff's going on in the news, and I saw last week that something came across my news feed that was different. It wasn't all the Joe Biden stuff, the Kamala Harris stuff, the Democrats versus Republican stuff. It was the story about Aaron Rodgers. And I thought, well, I'm going to write something that's refreshing. I'm going to write on something different this week. Mm-hmm. Now, the story on Aaron Rodgers is that he granted an interview to his former live-in girlfriend, Danica Patrick, of NASCAR fame. He granted an interview on a podcast that she hosts where she asked him about his religious faith. And she asked him when his views of Christianity started to change. Well, his response was, well, yes, they did start to change. They started to change back in high school. He then goes on and he says, while I was in high school, I attended two different things. On Sunday, I went to church with my mom and dad. And on Monday, I went to Young Life. He elaborates. He goes further. He says, Young Life was fun. We came at 729 and... Uh, in the in the morning, I don't know. This morning, like we came at seven twenty nine. He says, and then we had fun. That's what he said. But at church, well, it was binary. It was black and white. You had to dress a certain way. And then he goes on to basically disparage his mom and dad's faith. Now, People Magazine reports that his mom and dad were hurt by this. That he said this publicly. They considered it to be a slap in the face. So why? am I writing about this? Well, I consider Aaron Rodgers to be a great football player, too. I actually have said on my podcast that I admire the way he has stood up against the mandatory or the vaccine mandate. So mm-hmm. I'm on the same page with you there. But he is a poster child for, for millennial arrogance. And yes, he is a millennial. He's at the older end of the scale, but he's a millennial. This millennial arrogance where you think your new idea that's five minutes old somehow is superior to any idea that preceded you. Your mom and dad's ideas, your grandma and grandpa's ideas, Thomas Jefferson's ideas, Abraham Lincoln's ideas, Chesterton's ideas, C.S. Lewis's ideas, Augustine's ideas, Aquinas's ideas, the Apostle Paul's ideas, maybe even Jesus's ideas. You're smarter than all of these people that have preceded you. You're smarter than the very Son of God himself, because you'd rather worship the God you want rather than the God who is. Aaron Rodgers is discarding the wisdom of the ages because he thinks he's smarter 
than everybody else. That's chronological snobbery. That's what C.S. Lewis called it. And Aaron Rodgers is the poster child for what's going on in our culture right now. A chronological snob rather than a humble person that acknowledges that maybe, just maybe, those folks with gray hair might know a thing or two more than you because they've got a little bit more experience than you. Go read the Proverbs. I cite proverb after proverb after proverb in my article where Solomon, the, the wisest guy they ever lived, Solomon says, my son, listen to me. My son, attend to me. My son, pay attention to me. My son, you're inexperienced. You need to attend to the wisdom of the ages. Solomon says this over and over again, but yet Aaron Rodgers wants to have fun rather than to attend to the facts, the catechesis of the faith. Is he um, reflective of society today? Um, Because not necessarily with the public disagreement or public chastising of his parents' beliefs and the way he was raised, that that I think is a little extreme and a little unusual uh, for a public figure to do that. But, but Dr. Piper, church attendance is down all over the country. I don't know about the world. I don't have statistics or anything, but I have seen and certainly read enough to know that um, you know our faith or people of faith, rather, uh, are if they're not losing their faith, they're certainly not practicing it as much as they once did. So is Aaron Rodgers a symptom, or is he one of the causes? Well, I, uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Somebody yeah. of that prominence is certainly causing other people to follow him. But I think he's a <laughs> symptom of the, of the cultural, um, uh, the, the vacuous nature of our culture. A vacuum is always filled, and we've stopped teaching the truths of the faith. Uh, as you know, in my article, I call the church out. The church hasn't catechized its next generation of believers uh, effectively enough for them to understand the believers, the next generation, to understand that the facts matter more than having fun. Aaron Rodgers wants to have fun. He doesn't care about what the facts are. The irony is he disparages binary rules, but yet in his own profession, football, you live within the binary rules, don't you? You can't play football without boundaries, without rules, without referees. And by the way, he criticizes the fact that his mom and dad made him dress a certain way to go to church. Well, don't you have to wear a uniform to play football, Aaron Rodgers? The fact that he doesn't even understand the duplicity of his worldview is stunning. Yeah, and, and I think he probably reflects... Um, not just a millennial generation. He's older. In fact, he's probably on the younger end of the of the um, of the Gen Xers. I think not even millennial at thirty eight. I think he is. But at any rate, um, you know, most of us hated church clothes. <laughs> we go to church. I'm Catholic. We go to church. We have to dress a certain way. It was uncomfortable. Couldn't wait to come home and get out of those. But you understood, and particularly as an adult, you look back on it and you have to understand why and about what respect it showed, not only for, uh, you know, for the church, for the for the for the congregation, but to Jesus. It's just saying I want to look my best because I'm coming in here to do something important, which is, you know, worship God. Um, and but but I think every kid understands it, but every adult, generally speaking, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't um, speak out against it or condemn it, particularly when it makes your parents feel the way he apparently did with his parents who just raised him. They felt, anyway, uh, that they were raising him the right way. Um, Let's pivot to another church story, Dr. Piper. Um, This is quite astounding. Uh, Some people know uh, who Pastor John MacArthur is. Some do not. He is a pastor of Grace Community Church 
in Los Angeles. His sermons are often posted to YouTube, apparently, as I understand the story. YouTube has taken his sermon down from last Sunday um, and derided it as hate speech. And what specifically did they determine to be hate speech? The following, quote, There is no such thing as transgender. You are either XX or XY. That's it. God made man, uh, male and female. That is determined genetically. That is physiology. That is science. That is reality. On the one hand, the reality of that lie and deception is so damaging, so destructive, so isolating, so corrupting that it needs to be confronted. But on the other hand, that confrontation can't exaggerate what already exists, which is a sense of feeling isolated in relationships. So, Dr. Piper, it sounds like the pastor was being very specific and uh, 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 when it comes to what science actually is, saying that we need to confront this big lie, but on the other hand, we need to be compassionate and not try to harm people who may be delusional, who may have psychological issues. We don't want them to become even more isolated uh, based on how they feel about relationships and about themselves. Um, can, can you point to the hate speech part of that? Because I can't find it. Well, it's interesting, and I'll be brief uh, here, but um, John MacArthur was responding to uh, the Canadian bill, the Canadian law that just passed. It is the law of the land in Canada now. It's called C-4. It's the law of Canada that you cannot preach, you cannot counsel, you cannot encourage somebody to convert, to convert from homosexuality or transgenderism back to uh, heterosexuality or the binary distinction between male and female. It's illegal in the nation of Canada now to preach conversion. They, the anti-conversion therapy bill. And again, I want to remind everybody, they're going to say, well, conversion therapy is electroshock therapy. That's nonsense. That's a lie. They're making it illegal to preach and teach and proclaim Christian conversion. Well, John MacArthur and thousands of other pastors says we're going to preach and teach Christian conversion in the United States in support of our Canadian brothers and sisters. That's what he was doing. When they talk about making this stuff illegal and calling it hate speech, what they're saying is that you can't post a Bible verse that was written by the Apostle Paul on Christian morality, Christian conversion, that the old has died, the new has come, that you're baptized, you die you die to your old self, and you're born again. You rise again. You're born and washed anew in conversion and transformation in Christ. You can't preach the words of Jesus where he said you must be born again. You shouldn't be too easily satisfied with being born that way. You can be born again. You can become a new creation. You can't say these things any longer because that's hate speech. They're making Christianity illegal, and John MacArthur was preaching against that. And YouTube is uh, is not <laughs> is not tolerant of John MacArthur's words. Uh, they are hate speech. They have to be taken down. Because of course, as we all know, YouTube uh, is owned by Google, and they certainly all follow the same poli- uh, po- political ideology and orthodoxy. And they are not going to allow anyone to challenge that leftist worldview uh, because that is going to be considered offensive to the trans population. Dr. Everett Piper is with us. We've got one more topic to discuss right after this. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1024, we continue now with Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, I want to play a clip here 
and I want to give some context to it before I ask you to respond to it. It's related to the trans movement that we were just discussing a little bit uh, a few moments ago. Dr. Joanna Olson Kennedy is, according to uh, this, the article that I'm reading, currently in receipt of $5.7 million in NIH grants to study the effects of early medical intervention for adolescent medical intervention for adolescents with gender dysphoria. Mind you, not psychological, not, uh, um, uh, I don't want to say conversion, not therapeutic, because we talk about conversion therapy and people get the wrong idea there. No, 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 no. Medically intervening by physically altering forever their bodies. Midway through the study, the minimum age for cross-sex hormone treatment was decreased from 13 to age 8. This is this Dr. Kennedy trying to justify permanent physical disfiguring of biological females because they're old enough to make good decisions when they're teenagers. Actually, people make life-altering decisions in adolescence. All the time. All the time. And honestly, most of them are good. It's just the bad ones that we talk about. Oh my God, the cinnamon challenge, right? I mean, why do we know about it? Because it's, it's a thing and it's, it's, not, it's not common. Like most teenagers aren't eating cinnamon, right? But some are and they're on YouTube and that's stupid. But we don't put on YouTube the things that are really good decisions, right? Oh my gosh, my kid took the SATs. Not a very exciting after school special, right? But so what we do know is that adolescents actually have the capacity to make a reasoned, logical decision. And here's the other thing about chest surgery. If you want breasts at a later point in your life, you can go and get them. That last line, of course, was the money line there, Dr. Piper. First of all, teenagers can make life-altering decisions about altering their body. And, oh, by the way, if later on they regret it, they can go get some new breasts added onto them. They can throw a couple of silicone bags onto their chest, and now they can be girls again. Take it away. This woman, she's delusional. I mean, even the tone of her voice, you just have to, she's unhinged. And and what world does she live in? Adolescents can make good decisions, and they do all the time. Most of them are good. I, I'm sorry. I made, my entire career was in education. And uh, you've raised kids, Bob. I've raised kids. And the bottom line is the reason that we even have laws in the United States that you can't vote until you're a certain age is because we've recognized for centuries that until you reach an age of maturity you're probably not going to make the best decisions in the world another thing this does it dumbs down the age of consent this sets us up for a discussion of consensual sex of minors with adults because if they can make good decisions about removing sexual organs then why can't they make good decisions about engaging in sex because after all they make good decisions all the time. Adolescents are capable of making good decisions all the time. And if they want to have sex with an adult, we should trust them to do so. That's where she's going with this argument. And I don't know if I can say this on the show. I think I can because it's a medical term. Okay, if you can remove your breasts and go get new breasts later on, if you think you made a mistake, can you remove your penis and go get a new penis later on? If it was a mistake, this is butchery. This is body mutilation, and it's crazy for a woman like this to be advocating it. It's grooming children for abuse of adults. That's exactly what she's promoting. The crazy, Dr. Piper, 
you didn't, didn't even touch. The crazy is that she has $5.7 million of your tax money, your taxes, my taxes, because this comes from the NIH, the National Institute of Health. Our federal government has given this butcher or this promoter of butchery $5.7 million of our money to do this to our children. That's the crazy. Bob, can I, I, can I tell everybody to go buy a book right now? You weren't by, expecting by me means. to do this, but by all means. I'm, sitting, I'm sitting outside my church right now. I'm getting ready to go into a meeting after you and I are done on this conversation. There's a woman that attends my church. Her name is Laura Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. She lived for 10 years as a transgender male. She had her breasts removed. She had a hysterectomy. She had testosterone injections. She grew a beard. After living that way as Jake for 10 years, she came back to Christ. She has written a book titled Transformed or Transgendered by Laura Perry. She tells the story of this body mutilation in this book. It's appalling the things that she has to live with now the rest of her life because she allowed some idiot like this woman that you just played the recording of to convince her, to manipulate her, to cope her into these life-altering decisions that she was not ready to make. But thank the Lord, she's transformed right now rather than transgender. Laura Perry. Laura Perry transformed. Was it not transgendered or or transgendered? Transformed, not transgendered. Transformed, not transgendered. Get that book on Amazon, and while you're there, also add to the cart, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe But It's Good by Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, thank you as always, sir. We'll talk to you again next week. Bless you. 10.30. We'll get news now. We'll come back. We're guest-free the rest of the way, so the lines are open. 216-901-0945, 1110 Always right. Ten thirty-seven. We continue. Always right on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, Want to hear some brilliance? Let's listen to some brilliance. At this week's RNC, um, one of the things that's, that has struck me uh, compared to RNC's past, there seems to be a, 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 a larger number of black men front and center. It would seem as if Republicans perhaps see an opportunity here. Uh, the Democrats don't see. There's been a lot of talk about women of color, black men. What what is the case for for them to show up in a few weeks for you and Mr. Biden? First of all, every vote needs to be earned, and Joe and I believe that. So when we look at the condition of black men in America, we know we still have a whole lot of work to do. We have talked about it in, the, in regard to policing and the criminal justice system, but let's talk about the, the realities of, of the fact that every man 
including every black man, wants to be able to take care of his family. The Biden-Harris plan is about investing in communities with a particular concern about the, those communities that have been long neglected to ensure that there will be economic opportunities. The look on the face of Craig Melvin from that interview with Kamala Harris in 2020, while they, she was a candidate, was the same look that was on his face uh, about a week ago when he interviewed her again and asked her about whether or not it's time uh, to change course in the Biden presidency, given the horrific job uh, that they are doing in terms of the economy, in terms of inflation, in terms of pretty much everything else. And her word salad this time, or in, in this one rather, um, is legendary. Why am I bringing this up? I'm looking at headline after headline after headline in leftist uh, um, news sites all touting what a brilliant jurist Kamala Harris would make for Joe Biden to choose to nominate as the Supreme Court Justice replacing Stephen Breyer. Kamala Harris would be brilliant. Kamala Harris would be the perfect choice. Kamala Harris uh, would, would, uh, would, would just be this boon for the Supreme Court, this fantastic get uh, for the Supreme Court if you were to put this African-American woman on the Supreme Court. And I, I just have to respond to this in a couple of different ways. Number one, she's not African-American in any way, shape, or form. Her father is Jamaican. Her mother is Indian. She is not African by birth in any way, shape, or form. So technically, the word black, you can do whatever you want with it. They call The left likes to call people black or brown. Identify everybody by their skin color, black or brown. Shouldn't matter. But she's not African in the first place, number one. Number two, the brilliance of this selection, if this is what he does to move Kamala Harris from the vice presidential role to Supreme Court justice, it just underscores how completely incompetent and and ignorant Joe Biden really is. He made the mistake the first time of putting a woman who can't string two coherent sentences together, couldn't in 2020, couldn't in 2021, can't today. To put her on his ticket was, was a diversity hire. That's the reason he chose her. He pinned himself. He, he painted himself into a corner. I talked about this last night. He painted himself into a corner by saying, I'm going to pick a black woman. And then it was a matter of, okay, i got to find somebody who could be president of the United States to be number, my number two. Where's the black woman who's most qualified? His list was like, you know, he could have written it on a Post-it note. Uh, the really small ones, not the bigger Post-it notes. You know, the ones that are like about a half an inch by a half an inch? Because he didn't have anybody. She was a default selection, and now Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is, is gone or is, is retiring, and he's made the same promise at the same time. Not only will I pick a black woman to be my running mate, I'll pick a black woman to be Supreme Court on the Supreme Court. And guess what? He's in the same situation. I got nobody I can think of, so I'm going to have to pick Kamala Harris again. How incredibly stupid is it to make the same promise and make the same mistake twice? She has become a national embarrassment, not to mention a national security threat, because she refuses to do the job that Joe Biden tasked her with, which is deal with the border. 
And by refusing to do the job, of course, that is code for don't want to do the job. We like all of those hundreds of thousands and, quite frankly, millions of illegal aliens streaming across that border. So he's doing it all over again. And again, by choosing, and I don't want to rehash this too much, but by choosing and promising to choose a black woman, he is automatically disqualifying by discriminatory practices, literally in name, discriminating against all males and all white people. If you are white, you're disqualified. If you are male, you're disqualified. You must be black. And you. May, he, by the way, he's also thus discriminating, discriminating against Hispanics, who may be great judges or jurists. He's discriminating against anybody who's indigenous, anybody who is uh, Asian, must be black, must be female. Racially discriminating that is not only offensive, but number two, and most importantly, it is completely draining a deep, wealth, wealthy pool of talent. A deep pool of talent is being drained by saying all of these talented people are not qualified or not going to be chosen despite their qualifications. We're going to choose somebody from a very, very shallow pool of candidates that fit the role of being a judge and being um, a black female. It's incredible to me that after making the Kamala Harris mistake, he's willing and ready to make the same mistake, whether it be by another less than qualified person like Kamala Harris or by Kamala Harris herself being the choice again. Okay. To uh, Charlie and Westlake. Hey, Charlie, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Hey, Bob. Got to, got to watch on Larry Elder last night, too. It was nice. He did a great job. Thank you. Hey, um, just thinking of all this, uh, this diversity hiring, I'm thinking it all fits under this, this banner of wokeism. And it's it's really destroying our society. We've got diversity hiring, and we sold my ear after 20 years proved that she's an imbecile. We hired her for diversity hiring. We've got open borders. That's all about that's all about wokeism. They're oh, we're racist for keeping the brown people out. So we're, we, it's wokeism. We got gay marriage because we're woke and we're destroying our society. And Kamala Harris is our vice president. All on wokeism. We've got to. Just, to push back against this whole idea. Racism fits up under there, but wokeism is the big problem. Well, you're right. Of course, wokeism is is the big problem, but you know they don't see it that way. They don't see it. They see that as the answer. They see that not as the problem, but that is the solution, and that is um, uh, a part of the problem here. Look, when, when, and thanks for the call, Charlie. When it comes to when it comes to our government, I I, I could argue that. The appointment of a Supreme Court justice is more important than the election of a president. Right? Why? A president's mistakes can end after four years. A president's mistakes can be uh, corrected by the next president. And I won't argue ideologically about Democrat or Republican. Just the point is, if things are done that are not necessarily in the best interest of the country by a president, he's gone in four or eight years. And if it's really bad, four. And that's what the left would say they did with Donald Trump. It was really, really bad. We got rid of him in four years. Okay, in their mind, uh, they can correct Donald Trump's vision and version of the country with Joe Biden's. When it comes to the Supreme Court, it isn't over in four years. Bad decisions and unqualified candidates are there for four decades, if they want to be. In Breyer's case, 27 years. How many did Ginsburg sit? How many years did Ginsburg sit on that court? It's a lifetime appointment. 
It's going to be two, three, four decades. Their decisions and their compounding mistakes build on one another for decades. And these things cannot be undone unless by a future court, like perhaps this year as it pertains to Roe v. Wade. But but for the last four decades, we have suffered, or depending on who you are, at the notion of millions and millions and millions of unborn babies being slaughtered because of the decisions of a court that can't be touched except by the court. So, in my estimation, if choosing Supreme Court justices for nominations is more important and more long-lasting, more, more long-lasting in terms of impact than choosing a president, then a president cannot be allowed to limit the options for that appointment to one race or one sex. It's too important to say we've got to make sure that the colors match. We've got to, we've never had one of these before. We have an African American on the court, Clarence Thomas. We have a couple of women on the court. In fact, quite a few women. We got Tony Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Amy Coney Barrett. So we got women, we got blacks, but we don't have a black woman. We don't have a black woman yet. Well, you know what else you don't have? You don't have a trans person on that court yet either. What if Joe Biden was to say it's time for the trans, or what if just gay? It's time for the LGBTQ movement to be represented on the court. This next nominee will be gay. Demonstrably and provably, and not just by statement. They must prove they're gay. It's going to have to be somebody like Pete Buttigieg. Would that ever be okay with anybody? Narrowing down the, the, the options, and again, the pool of candidates, to somebody whose sexual orientation matches you know, the, the president's desires for the purpose of, of making sure the court is, quote, equally representative? Would that be okay if every straight person was disqualified from consideration regardless of their constitutional knowledge and ability and talent and qualifications? Think about that. That's coming. This one's got to be black and female. Next one might have to be gay. The one after that might have to be trans. Matt Walsh, who is every liberal Twitter user's worst nightmare, um, he's a political pundit and a radio guy, too, uh, tweeted this yesterday. It is the year 2022, and there have been, and there has never been a polyamorous, genderqueer, indigenous furry on the Supreme Court. I hope President Biden does the right thing. And that pretty much sums it up. I mean, in all seriousness, how many different little idiosyncrasies, uh, personality traits, psychological delusions, sexual desires and orientations, how many different things are out there that are going to be in line next to say, we finally have had this, now we need to make that. We have had blacks, we have had women, but not black women. Uh, same thing with the the uh, vice presidential pick. If they can if they can continue to play this identity game, it is so devastating. I think so dangerous for the country. TJ in Cleveland. TJ, sorry for your wait. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, what you said about Kamala Harris sounds crazy, but we're dealing with the party that crazy has no limits. Now, you know, Nancy Pelosi just announced she's going to run again. Now, I'll say one thing about Pelosi. A lot of things she's not. The one thing she is is a survivor. 
I mean, my God, she survived the asteroid hit that took out most of the other dinosaurs. But uh, say he picks Kamala Harris. Now you have a Senate that's split 50-50, and, and Harris gets to make the deciding vote on her own fate. Yeah. Now, if that was to happen, Nancy Pelosi would move into the second position for presidency. Shortly after Joe Biden resigns or whatever, we wake up one morning. I don't know that that's true, TJ. It is. It is. Bob, I know it is. She's Uh, third in line to the presidency if something were to happen to the president and the vice president. Yes, she is third in line. But I don't know that she ascends to vice president if she she does not want to be. I don't think that's... No, Bob, it is. If it's an elected vice president, you're right. The vice president is second in line. If it's a selected vice president, like this case would be, mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi is number two in line. I'll and so to, we could I'll... wake up one morning saying, Madam President Nancy Pelosi, and any anytime you think it can't get worse, it does. <laughs> well, it would be worse if it was Madam President Kamala Harris. I think that would be even worse than Nancy Pelosi, and I think that's worse than Joe Biden, believe it or not. In one way, and thank you for the call, TJ, in one way, having her nominated to the Supreme Court could give you a big sigh of relief so that if they do 25th Amendment Biden out of office, it wouldn't be Kamala Harris ascending because she would be worse than him. Now, if it is Nancy Pelosi, I, I, I don't know. What way do you want to die? What do you, what do you, what do you, want, to, what do you want to take, cyanide or strychnine? <laughs> Which poison do you want to take to end your life? Because that is essentially what we, we would be left with. TJ, thanks for the call. Right back with more after this. If you've ever wished you could declare political bankruptcy, I declare bankruptcy! Keep your radio tuned to Always Right with Bob France. You declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. On AM 1420, the answer. Okay, um, I, I didn't want to argue with TJ because he seemed pretty sure of himself, but I, but I knew he was not correct. And, uh, and I, want to, I want to clarify this now. The 25th Amendment states very directly, whenever there is a vacancy in the office of the vice president, the president shall nominate a vice president who shall take office upon confirmation by a majority vote of both houses of Congress. Okay. TJ is getting confused by the fact that the vice, pre- or excuse me, the speaker of the house is considered third in line to the presidency. In other words, if Air Force One went down with both president and vice president on it, who takes over? It's the speaker of the house. That is not the case if you're talking about succession uh, with the vice president leaving. If the vice president were to resign, or in this case, be appointed to the Supreme Court, if there's a vacancy in the vice presidential office, it's not as if the Speaker of the House just automatically moves up. That is not the case. 25th Amendment makes it clear. The president would then nominate a new vice president who would then need to be confirmed by majority vote of both houses of Congress. So, no, Nancy doesn't have that easy of a slip into the vice presidential chair, TJ. I just want to be clear about that. Georgianne in Willoughby next. Hi, Georgianne. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. It's been a while since I've called, but uh, something that hasn't been brought up, and uh, someone who is one of the most divisive, divisive persons of color to be nominated would be Michelle Obama. And she's just kind of waiting in the wings. <laughs> um, you're right. Um, I, I'll tell you what, though. I, I think her name has been brought up in another oh. place, and that is not not for not for Supreme Court because she she mm-hmm. does have a law degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has been mentioned as as possibly their their 2024 presidential pick. 
They oh, they Lord. love doing they love doing the uh, the identity politics thing. They love mm-hmm. the idea that Michelle Obama would bring Barack Obama with her back into the Oval yep. Office. Um, they have no bench. They're not going to mm-hmm. get a Gavin Newsom elected. They're not going to get a, mm-hmm. a Pete Buttigieg elected, a Beto O'Rourke. Right. They can't go to the old guard of, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, of candidates like Elizabeth Warren and others who have tried mm-hmm. it. They're looking for somebody to rival a Ron DeSantis. You know, I don't know if it's going to be President Trump or not, but the name Michelle right. Obama has been floated as a potential, uh, dark horse for the, for the position, for the nomination rather for the Democrats yeah. in 2024. She's, so he's like the elephant in the room. And I, I want to point out that I love when T.J. calls in. He's a great American and a great Yes, patriot. he is. Yes, he, he is. is. And a veteran of the United States as well. Yes, he is. God bless him. Thank you, Georgianne. I appreciate the phone call. Yeah, don't sleep on the name Michelle Obama for any of these things. I don't want to say, hey, it's not going to be, she won't be considered for the Supreme Court pick by Joe Biden uh, because they're going to nominate her for president. I'm just saying for, for, I've already heard that part of it, and so keep that in mind. And who knows? Joe Biden's relationship with Barack Obama is obviously, you know, a, a rather strong one. They worked together for eight years, even though Obama has said some critical things of Biden in the past. I think Biden often defers to Barack Obama's ideas and ideology. I do. And if Barack said, hey, Michelle should be on your court, uh, I, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't put it past Joe Biden to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, Mr. Obama. I don't know. Frank is in Brook Park. Hi, Frank. Go ahead, sir. Hi. Hey, we got to have prayers for our 8,500 troops that are condemned by the Russians that they'll destroy us probably because they know the territory, and uh, we need prayers for our 8,500 troops. You know, the message a month ago was the Russians had like 70,000 troops ready for the Ukraine. Okay? That's like 8 to 1 ratio, and that's their territory. Let's pray for our 8,500 troops, but that's another distraction by the Democrats, even though it would be 8,500 deaths. So well, well, big, big, you're, 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 you're right. This, this, and thank you uh, for the call, Frank. We're not going to war with Russia. And if we were, we wouldn't be going to war with Russia's 70,000 troops with our 8,500. 8,500 troops have been placed on high alert. It's simply a distraction. You said it yourself. You're exactly right. It's a distraction and intended to be some kind of a deterrent, telling Vladimir Putin, don't get froggy here uh, and jump on uh, on Ukraine because uh, we, we, are, we are going to be... We're going to be watching this very closely. If we were going to war with Russia, we wouldn't be going to war with 8,500 troops. And no, I do not believe we are going to war with Russia at all. Joe Biden is a disaster. He's looking for something to change the narrative. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Everett Piper. Thanks to my team, and thanks to you for listening. Have a great day. Let's go, Brandon.